guys who are off experiencing the men's retreat, which is code for I'm sure, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, but maybe not. <laughs> but it, it is great to be with you. I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, and while you, uh, you're doing that there, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, or even if you are, there's this great little page in the front of the Bible. It's not in the original Hebrew or Greek, but it's the table of contents. <laughs> and it, it will help you find Jonah too. Trust me, it will. Uh, but before, as you turn to that, I just wanna, wanna say it is, is great to be here in worship with you today. Uh, my wife Karen couldn't be with us because she is up in Dallas at a big, conference put on by the chosen people and so I told her well you might be with the chosen but I am with the chosen people this morning so she could be her right now she she loves y'all we, we attend this church every so often uh, and we really appreciate it I I want to thank you all for the great job you did uh, hosting Presbytery a few weeks ago um, my first experience with this church hosting Presbytery is back in, what was it, Gene, 2003 or four? It was right, well, it wasn't right after you all built the new building. It was kind of three quarters after the building was built. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting to that point, yeah. The, um, your former pastor, who was sort of loose with Rules, regulations, ordinances. Uh, he was adventurous. He was adventurous, and we had an adventure. That night, uh, as we got to Presbytery, uh, this church did not have a, an occupancy permit, did not have electricity, did not have running water. That didn't discourage Buck or any of y'all. We had this great meal over there. They had candlelight on our tables. They ran water in through hoses, and uh, we just prayed that God would make the seeing eyes of the fire marshal blind. And, uh, but it was great. It was a memory, and we all talk about that, and uh, y'all have come a long way. Uh, but thank you for, for hosting us, and uh, we, we did really enjoy that. Well, let's start with a, a confession. Are we off the record? Can I, can I tell you just a, a, a little secret? I was not always a perfect child. <laughs> you laughed, really? Yeah, it's hard to believe. I know, I was not always a perfect child. And back in the old days, the good old days, the way that my parents and probably you, if you're kind of my age, kind of dinosaurish. Uh, the way we were disciplined was by spanking, you know, and spanking was, was okay. I mean, you got a few whacks and it was over. And, and if you kind of cried or appeared to be crying, it brought it to an end quicker. Spanking was good. It was done. Then I guess my mom decided when I was 16 or 17, that was probably not going to work. Maybe a little bit before that. But then she, she developed. I, I don't know if she was reading some guy named Dr. Spock or somebody, not Mr. Spock, you younger types. Doctor, he was a, wrote about how to raise kids. He came up with this, this dastardly, evil 
way of disciplining children. When I was in law school, I learned it's cruel and unusual punishment. And this is it, it was called, uh, she would say to me, Ron, go sit in a chair. And he would set a timer for 15 minutes, or a half hour, or three days, or some crazy time, it was sit in a chair. Well, as time has gone on, and as uh, people have developed and become more culturally aware, we now call this time out. And it's still, it's still, my, my grandkids, it strikes fear in their hearts. All my daughter has to say is, Colby, you go into time out. And it is cruel and unusual punishment. Funny thing is, then she'll say, because we, we now live in 2023, Colby, you're in time out. Alexa, set a timer for five minutes. And then of course, when those five minutes are up and we hear beep, 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 I hear this little voice, Alexa, off. But time out. Time out is cruel. It's hard. Well, some of you will remember when I preached here last time, which was in March. Remember, we, we looked at Jonah chapter 1. And so I thought, not being really creative and believing and systematically going through the Bible, today we might look at Jonah 2. Okay? Well, good, because here we are. Remember, remember in Jonah chapter one, we all know the story, right? Jonah, Jonah is in this dilemma. He's living large, he's living the good life. Things are good, he's the best friend of a prophet, and uh, he's best friend of the king. And then God makes this really difficult request. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against this evil people. Well, what does Jonah do? He does what any self-respecting prophet does. He goes the other way. <laughs> what does God do? God says, not in my house, not in my universe. And he hurls a storm at Jonah. And this storm is going. And it looks like Jonah and all of the, the navigators at sea are going to perish in the sea. So what do they do? Being good American people, they look at each other and say, Whose fault is this? And as you know, they cast lots, and who does it come to? It's Jonah. And Jonah tells him, yeah, I, I'm running away from God. Well, thank you, Jonah. Now, what do we do with you? Well, throw me into the sea, and you'll be fine. But they didn't want to do that. I mean, they didn't want to compound their problems with murdering a guy, even a prophet. Well, the seas become worse and worse. Finally, they look at Jonah and say, okay, brother, you're going in. And so they throw Jonah into the water. What happens then? The minute Jonah hits the water, this tempestuous sea becomes immediately flat. And these men look at this and say, whoa, nothing like this has ever happened. There must be a God. And so they worshiped the one true God. That doesn't do Jonah a lot of good because Jonah hits the water and he expects to die. The sailors with him expect him to die. But God is gracious. We read at the end of chapter one, the Lord provided a great fish that swallowed up Jonah and kept him alive for three days and three nights. Well, here Jonah 
finds himself in what I sometimes call the mother of all timeouts. God is gracious to Jonah in spite of his, his rebellion. But you know, all too often when we read this story, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what's going on inside that fish. And we spend even less time thinking about what's going on inside of Jonah. Have you ever felt like, like you're in a timeout? A timeout, a time when it felt like God had put you on the sideline. Now, I went through a, a, a period of almost a year when what started out as being a foolish 67-year-old thinking I could keep up with high school students in a football scrimmage tore my Achilles and over the next, over the next year, I, not only did I have that, but then I had a prostate thing and had to have surgery. I, I woke up one morning in bed and could not move and had to be in a hospital for three weeks and they didn't figure out what was going on. And two months later, my cardiologist called me and said, Ron, you need to go to a hospital right away. You're having a stroke. I okay. And if that wasn't enough, by the end of that time, I ended having to have open heart surgery. I mean, nothing slows you down like being sawed in half, right? I mean, I have, I call it my zipper for my grandkids. Nothing slows you down like that. What, what was God doing all that, during all that time? I, well, this morning, this morning I wanna ask you, what do we do? When, when we find ourselves in timeout. Well, well, I believe that, that Jonah can help us answer that question. And uh, not only Jonah, but I believe our Heavenly Father wants to answer that for us too. And so I invite you to turn with me now to your Bible, uh, in your Bible to Genesis chapter two. Um, I'll be reading from the English Standard. What did I say? Oh, Genesis, oh, yeah, that'll take a while. Jonah chapter two. Jonah, thanks, Gene. Jonah chapter two, uh, beginning in verse one. And I think I'll start, I'll back up to verse 17 just to give us context. Would you stand with me as we read from God's holy word? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's absolutely true. It's given to us for our good. Please be seated. So, so how do we respond when, when it feels like we're in timeout? What, what does God want us to think? What does God want us to remember? Well, I, I think three things. When, when we're in timeout first, we should remember that God is there and he's listening. Do we not have slides? No? I do. You do. Will you share with us? There we go. When you're in timeout, remember these three things. First, when we're in timeout, we should remember God is there and he's listening. First, note, notice that the, the style of the writing changes from prose to poetry. Why? Well, I'll tell you. I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes a Hebrew writer in order to get our attention, would change the way he wrote. He would say something a little bit differently or move from prose to poetry or some other form of expression in order to get our attention, to say something in a little bit different way to give it more impact. And remember too, Jonah wasn't writing from the belly of the fish. You remember the old Pinocchio movie where He's swallowed up by that whale and he's sitting inside and there's a campfire and he's sitting at a table. That's not it. Jonah was not in the whale, in the belly of this fish, saying, you know what? It's a good time to get out my laptop and do some writing and think about what's going on here. No, he, he obviously wrote this after the fact, after he had a time to think about all that God had done. And he summarizes all the events of this chapter in verses 1 and 2. I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, this, this must have been quite a shock to Jonah, Jonah to find himself alive and somewhat well. I mean, one minute he's being cast into the sea. He goes down, down, down. The water surround him. Seaweed is starting to wrap around his neck. He's falling deeper and deeper and deeper. And he knows he's never coming up. Never. And then the next thing he knows, he's in the belly of a fish. Or does he? I mean, he's never been here before, right? He, he has no idea what's going on, but, but he knows he's alive. Somehow, God is keeping him alive. Now, the accommodation might not have been ideal, but he's alive. He's safe. And at some point, he realizes that he's been rescued, at least for the moment. And he does the only thing he knows to do and that he can do. He cries out to God. He prays. Jonah was aware that he wasn't out of the presence of God. He was not out of the presence of God. God was right there with him. And God was listening to his prayers. He's been running from God. But God has never left him, even though Jonah deserved to be left for fish food. And so Jonah prayed. 
What an odd thing, what an odd time, and what an odd place to pray. Friends, let me, let me just share with you the poem, right? Preachers, three points in a poem. Here's the poem. How do we pray? The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keyes, the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms, with rapt and upturned eyes. No, 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 said Elder Snow, such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front, with both thumbs pointing to the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blount. Well, last year I fell in Hodgkin's well, head first, said Cyril Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pointing down. And I'd unprayed right then and there the best prayer I ever said. The prayingest prayer I ever said was while standing on my head. Friends, we can pray to God anytime and anywhere. God is, is not concerned with our style, with the precise words, with the posture of our prayer. Uh, when, so when we feel like we're in time out, when we feel far from God, it isn't, it isn't because God has moved. He hasn't. He's there. And he's listening. You know, you know prayer is our ultimate lifeline to God. And sometimes a good prayer like, if we're honest, starts with the phrase, God, I can't, but you can. God wants us to pray to him always, no matter our circumstances. So whether you feel like you're standing on your head or in the belly of a fish or stuck in a chair at home or, or in your office, God is there and he's listening. God extended grace to Jonah, and he extends that same grace to us. So first of all, remember, God's there, and he's listening. Second, remember, God is there, and he's working out all his holy plan. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep. All your waves, your billows passed over me. You cast me into the deep. All your waves, all your billows passed over me. See, Jonah, Jonah acknowledges that God is causing all this to happen to Jonah for Jonah's good. God hasn't abandoned Jonah. He hasn't left him to suffer for nothing. He hasn't left him there for no good reason. God has a plan, and God has a reason for everything he's doing, whether Jonah sees it or not, and whether Jonah understands it or not. Friends, God is sovereignly in control of everything that happens in our world. The Puritans had a phrase, they called it the meticulous providence of God. Or say the meticulous hand of God's providence is sovereignly over all. God orders all the events of our life. He's not just the God of the big picture. He's the God of the details. And in some ways, God is the ultimate micromanager. The God of the universe has ordered the movement of every atom everywhere in the galaxy. And we should take comfort in that. 
But what about sin? What about sin? Jonah certainly sinned. Does God decree my sin? Am I just the victim? You know, the devil made me do it or God made me do it. It's not my fault. Well, friends, we all know God, God is not the author of sin or evil. I'm responsible for my own sin, not God. And yet, God is so holy, so powerful, so ordering the things of the universe that everything, even my sin, happens for his good, for my good, and for his glory. That's why we believe the words that Paul spoke in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. In all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Or your Bible might say, all things work together for the good of those who love him. They're called according to his purpose. So how, how does that work? Well, again, I don't know. I don't know. See, God allows us to sin, and he allows us to face the consequences of our sin, and yet he loves us so much that he orders the events of our lives, even our sins, to work for his glory and for our good. I mean, think about that. Only a God that is ultimately, totally and utterly powerful could do that. God was ordering the events of Jonah's life in order to bring glory to himself and for, for Jonah's good. How? Well, he does this because he is the God of the details. Here's something you, you probably didn't know. In, in ancient Near East civilizations, uh, they, they had sometimes as part of their legal system, in order to decide whether a person was guilty or innocent, they had what they called trial by ordeal. In a trial by ordeal, an individual would undergo a physical test and the outcome would determine the legal consequences, the guilt or innocence of their legal case. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are, there are two kinds of, of trials by ordeal. One was a, bi a bilateral trial, or the white knight versus the black knight, or the blue knight, or the green knight, or whatever color he was. That, that would be trial by combat, where two combatants would square off, and the victor was declared justified, made right. But there was another way they did this, and this was a unilateral trial by ordeal. In a unilateral trial, the individual would maybe stand under a heavy weight or be thrown into turbulent waters. Here we come, here we come, you see this coming. And you see in Assyria, as in where Nineveh was located, the most common form of trial by ordeal was to be thrown into a turbulent body of water. And the guilt or innocence of the individuals was determined by whether they survived the turbulence. One of the major gods of the Assyrian people was a god named Dagon. Now look him up and Google it this afternoon if, if you don't believe me. But Dagon was a, was a god, a powerful god. From the waist up, he was a man. Big, ugly, mean man. From the waist down, he was a fish. And if you, if you look at some of the old excavations of the, the palace of the king of Assyria, you would see Dagon, half 
man, half fish. And so think about this. When, when Jonah shows up and recounts where he's been and what's gone on in his life in the immediate past, it must have sounded like he had faced the mother of all trials. And he had instant credibility, instant street cred. I mean, he certainly looked the part. In practice, probably even smelled the part. And so these people looked at him. And when Jonah came to preach the gospel, he was, he was immediately well-received. Had he gone to Nineveh the way God had intended for him to go to Nineveh, he, he might not have had such an effect on the people. But because he took the long route, because God used his sin for God's glory, great and wonderful things happened. God used Jonah's sin for God's glory and for Jonah's good and for the good of the people of Nineveh. Friends, if you've been in time out because of your sin, or if you're in time out right now because of your sin, all I can say is confess, repent if you haven't already done so. And then look, look for how God will redeem your actions, how God will work for his glory and for your good. Know, know the truth that God can still work good out of your failure. Your failure isn't final. God is still in the business of working all things together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. But you know, sometimes God puts us in time out uh, not to bring consequences or to bring tragedy because, because of our own actions, but in order to set us up so we'll be in a position to help other people as they go through a really tough time and need somebody to walk alongside of them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Several years ago, there, there was a young couple in Austin who, whose young child was up playing in his room, uh, and the, the couple were downstairs, and after a, too long a time, it got really quiet. And when they went upstairs to find their child, they found him. Somehow he had gotten himself strangled in a cord that was hanging from a doorknob, and he died. And needless to say, they, they were in deep agony. I cannot think of anything worse than to have a child die like that. They, they were followers of Jesus, and they believed that somehow God was with them, and God could work good out of this. For most couples in a circumstance like that, the statistics are high that that couple will be divorced in a very short period of time. And this couple said, not us. We are not gonna let Satan have his way. And so they committed to one another. They committed to prayer. They committed to their church. They formed a ministry. And they began to, to receive 
referrals from families that were similarly situated. And this couple would go to those, those young families quickly. And a lot of them were able to work through their grief and their agony, their anguish, their anger, and either find Christ or, or remain committed to their faith because of the tragedy this couple had gone through. God works all things, not just the good things, the pleasant things, the happy things. God works all things for our good and for his glory. Believe that. Trust that. Cling tightly to that promise. Remember, God is there, and he is working out his plan. And then finally, remember, God is there, and so there's hope. Jonah's situation certainly appeared hopeless. I mean, he's, he's safe for now, but only for now. He's looking at really two possibilities, neither of which is exciting. He's either going to come fish poop or fish puke. Now, that's in the original language, trust me. What, what's going to happen? Nevertheless, while he's in the midst of this, he prays with hope. Verse 4. I am driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my life up from the pit. Verse 9, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that last phrase, that last sentence is really the theme of the entire book short book of Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, from all appearances, Jonah has no reason for hope. There's nothing in his experience or in his surroundings that suggests that this is going to work out well. Nothing, nothing around him suggests there's any reason for hope. And yet Jonah has, has hope. Why? Well, Jonah knows that God is with him, and he's there, and so there's hope. Not hope in his external circumstances, but because he's a child of God. There is, there is hope in his ultimate deliverance. And because he is a child of God, God will not abandon him. Jonah's, Jonah's hope is not mere optimism. Jonah's not singing the sun will come out tomorrow. He doesn't know that. He can't know that. But his hope is in God and that even in the belly of that great fish, God would work out his holy will. And ultimately, Jonah would see his God. What great hope. What a great example for us. But for Jonah, God wasn't finished with him on this earth. The last verse there, verse 10 of chapter 2. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. But friends, as we face, as we face our timeouts, let's, let's not simply have hope because Jonah had hope. I mean, let's not resolve to be like Jonah. Let's not be like Jonah because, as we know, one greater than Jonah has come. We know that someone greater than Jonah has come to this earth. 
He came voluntarily. He faced the storms of a mob that wanted nothing to do other than kill him. And they did. They killed him, and his body went into the grave. Jesus was not in time out. Jesus was in game over. He was dead. And yet, on the third day, God raised him. He raised him from the dead. And Jesus went forth declaring for his victory over death. And that he'd won the battle for the lives of all of his people. And today, he proclaims your release and mine. Today, he says again, all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And so today, it's your move. It's your move. Take, take a step forward today. Believe, believe as Jonah believed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, if you feel like you're in timeout or if life is really going well, salvation belongs to the Lord. God wants to work out his good and perfect and holy will in you and through you so that you would walk closely with him and so that others who may walk with you in this congregation or who may be out in a world and don't know Jesus yet, but God would like them to know him. He would, he would send you into this world to be his ambassadors, his, his friends to friends who need him. And as we do that, let's get ready for the Lord to deliver us by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's pray. Father, salvation belongs to the Lord. We believe that. We affirm that no matter our circumstance in this world, whether it be great right now, whether it be difficult right now, whether we think of it as being potentially fatal. Salvation belongs to our God. Remind us of the truth of that. Help us to live our lives saying thank you to you for the gift of, of our life here, but more important, our gift of eternal life. And as we come to the Lord's table, may we eat and drink and receive that spiritual power that is ours through feeding on Christ's body and blood. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.